Good morning, everybody. How about Pastor Guy? That guy, no, no pun intended there. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. But, you know, he, he does so many awesome things for our church and for each of you. And you only get to see him on Sunday mornings worshiping or maybe during the week, maybe at worship practice or whatever. But, I mean, I'll tell you what, as, as great as an awesome Great and awesome as a worship leader he is, he's a better man, and he, he does that seven, seven days a week, and I just want you to know we, we appreciate you, pa- Pastor Guy. Amen. Kelly has trained you up well. Well, it was awesome last week to hear from Pastor Katie on Mother's Day, wasn't it? She, she, had, a great, she had a great message. But when I saw Pastor Matt last week, I was like, hey, what are you guys, what are you guys doing for Mother's Day? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, Katie got the kids together, and then she's going to preach this morning, and then we're going to go to my mom's for, for like a brunch or a lunch or whatever. And I was like, wait a minute, how would you get your wife to work on, on Mother's Day? How are you getting your mom, or it might have been his grandma, I can't remember. All I know is he wasn't doing any of the work. I was like, you, you know today's... Mother's Day and not Father's Day, right? Leave, leave it to Pastor Matt to figure out how to get out of work on Mother's Day. But anyway, that's not why we're here today. So you ever thought about like, why, why are we here today? Why, why did you come to church today? There. There's various reasons, right? There's various reasons. Some of you came because your spouse came. Some of you came just because you think it's the right thing to do. Some of you came because you didn't really have anything else to do. Somebody came because you just were driving down Route 3 and you saw a big new building with a a sign out in the yard and you figured you'd try it out. And some of you don't want to be here right now at all, right? This is just truth. There's somebody here. There's somebody here that doesn't, doesn't want to be here. And, and they're listening to me, and they're thinking, yeah, now that you agree with me, just hurry up <laughs> so I can go home. Hey, sometimes the truth is tough, right? But my point is we're all here for a different reason on on the outset. But really, in some sense, we're all here for the same reason. Because we want to get closer to Jesus. We want to know more about Jesus. We want to know what he has in store for our lives. We want him to speak directly to us. Now, you may not be thinking about that consciously when you walk into here on a Sunday morning, but at some point, that's why you're here. We want to know more about Jesus. And one of the ways that you can find out more about something or someone is through questions. And I love to ask questions to people when I'm talking to them. Because it usually provides clarity in a situation. 
And we all, we all love questions, don't we? And maybe you don't really love questions, or you love questions because you just love the answers or finding the answers. Because wouldn't it be great if all these questions that Jesus amazingly answered all of our questions the way we wanted to, wanted him to? That, that's never going to happen. Now, Jesus is always answering our questions, but maybe we're just not in a position to hear him or to listen to him. But we would love to know that. And we always think, man, I've got all kinds of questions that I have for God. I have all kinds of questions I want him to answer. Right? Because we've all said this next statement, when I get to heaven, right? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this to God. Here's what I'm going to say. When you get to heaven, you're not going to have any questions whatsoever. You're going to be in such awe and in such amazement that you will not think that you ever had a question. Or even if you think to yourself, which you won't, but if you get up to heaven and you get to the pearly gates and you see Jesus on his throne, you think, wait a minute, I had a bunch of questions. Even if you get to that point, you're never going to remember the questions that you actually had. And as much as I think questions are important to find out who we are, why we exist, God's plan for our life, I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit today, and I'm not going to talk about questions that we might have for somebody or questions that we might have for God or questions that we want God to answer. What we're going to talk about this morning is the questions that God has for us. And did you ever think about this? Do you know there's literally hundreds of questions? There's literally hundreds of questions in this book. That God specifically asks. And I believe that if, if this, is a, this is an all-truth, never-changing manuscript, that the questions in this book are also relevant and specific to us. And here's the thing on questions. Throughout your lifetime, you're probably going to answer thousands of questions. Thousands of questions. Just today, you'll probably answer hundreds of questions. If you have young kids, you'll probably answer the same question over and over and over and over again just today. And most of those questions that we receive in our lifetime, most of them don't, don't really need an answer. They don't really need an answer. I would submit to you this morning that the questions God has for us, each and every one of us specifically, not only should we answer them, not only are they important to the forward movement of our life, but I want to talk about this morning how these questions that God asks us every single day, they demand, they demand an answer from us. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for your presence here this morning. Lord, I just ask that as I'm speaking this morning, that your presence continues to stay in this place. 
Lord, I just ask that whether it's today or tomorrow or any time throughout the course of our lives, that, that we have a passion for your presence. We give your presence an opportunity to invade our lives, and we are able to recognize your presence and you working in us. And Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about questions today. And the title of my message is The Most Important Questions You Will Ever Answer. The Most Important Questions You Will Ever Answer. And question number one, you don't need to put it up just yet, comes out of Genesis. And I'm going to choose this question in Genesis because this basically sets the stage for all other questions. It's the first question that God asks. And it's a question about where are our hearts? Who, who are we listening to? What are we believing about God? And maybe even what are we believing about God that is not true? Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now that sounds great, doesn't it? Let's just set the stage a little bit. You have Adam and Eve, right? They're in the Garden of Eden. They have everything that they could ever want. And it's probably weather-wise a day much like this morning out there where the sun's out. There's a little bit of a breeze. And, it, and it's almost perfect. And they're just sitting in the garden, minding their own business. And they hear the, the, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, and here's the question. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that is never a question that I want my creator asking me. I never want to be in a situation where God's trying to do something in my life, where he's trying to provide me an opportunity, where he's trying to teach me something, where he's trying to find me, and his question is, Mike, where are you? Now, I hate to admit, as your pastor, the guy trying to teach you these things, you know what happens many times in my life when I'm trying to do good, when I'm trying to follow him? You know what his question is to me? His question is, Mike, where are you? Where are you? This is a question that he has for us all the time. Where are we? And here's what happens. Why, why was Adam and Eve hiding themselves from the presence of the Lord? Because sin had entered their life. What is the thing that happens to our life that makes us 
run away and hide. It's the sin. And if you, if you think the question is important, we also have to think, well, why did God ask him this question? And here's what I would say this morning. One of the reasons is he, he wants Adam to think, what has sin done to me? Why did I leave God? Why am I running away from him? The thing that separates us from Jesus is sin. We have to, be in, we have to put, our position in, uh, put ourselves in a position in life where we're always running towards him, not away from him. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Question number two. And today, I don't have three points. I have multiple questions for you. And just please keep in mind, when I'm asking you this question, this is not a question that I am asking you. This is a question that I'm getting, and you'll, say, you'll see that I'm, I'm reading it straight out of the Bible. So don't think to yourself, oh, Pastor Mike had all these questions. They were pretty good, and they kind of make sense. I didn't come up with them. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the person who created you specifically and created you in perfection is asking you these questions day after day. Second question, you'll find it in Matthew chapter 16. And this question, I may say this multiple times this morning, but this question may be the greatest question of your entire life. It may be the greatest question in your entire life. And what's interesting about this passage, there's actually two questions. The first question to your life actually isn't really important. But the first question is actually setting up the second question. Matthew 16, 30, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's the first question. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, and this is question number two, but who, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's awfully quiet in this place this morning. It's awfully quiet. This is a question that we have to answer every single day. And only you. And you're looking at me kind of like this is bad news. This isn't bad news. This is great news. This is great news because you see, this is such great news that you control the answer. You control the answer. Who do you say that he is? Your wife, your husband can't answer the question for you. Your son, your daughter, your mentor, your accountability partner, your prayer partner, your pastor, you fill in the blanks. They can't answer the question for you. Only you can answer the question for yourself. That's why these questions are so important. 
the most important questions you will ever answer. They demand an answer. And the answers to these questions, you're, you're concerned, you're, you're anxious about the future of your life and what's going to happen two years from now, four years from now, two weeks from now. The future of your life depends. I know I'm sounding like really serious, but this is serious business. The future of your life, the forward traje trajectory of your life is going to be found in the answers to these questions. Who do you say that he is? I spoke to, about a month ago, I spoke to a group of high school athletes, teenage boys, and I started out the devotion to them, and I share with them some things that are really important to my life, that are really important to my life. And one of them I shared with them when I first started, I, sh I shared with them what my life verse is. And I shared with them what that verse is, and it's John 10, 10. You've probably heard me say that before. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. Now, what that means to me is in just that one verse, that one verse it's John 10, 10, that one verse shows me and tells me that every day I have a decision to make. I can choose what that day is going to be like. I can choose what I'm going to believe in. I'm going to choose what I'm going to walk out. Am I going to walk out the devil's plan for my life? Or am I going to walk out his plan for my life that's filled with abundance? So I shared that at the beginning. And at the end of my little talk, I told these guys, I said, does we were in a school setting, so I said, I've got some tests. I have a test and a homework assignment for you. Both are easy. Here's the test. Does anybody remember what my life verse is? And I said, here was my point. It really doesn't matter if you remember what my life verse is. Because my life verse is not going to help you out when you're in a time of adversity, when you're in a time of confusion, when you need to be crying out for God. Mike Lemp's life verse is not going to help you. What is going to help you is your life verse. When the question is posed to you, who do you say that I am? What I say about that doesn't matter. What your supernatural, super spiritual, all Bible-knowing mentor knows about answers that question isn't going to matter. It comes down to what, who do you say that he is? Amen? Because this has got to be a daily answer. Because our answer to that should be a declaration and a celebration of who he is in our life. Question number three. And this is actually... One of my favorite questions. And it's found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. Now as they went out to Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, 
son of David. So let's paint a picture of what's going on here. There's a multitude of people. There's thousands of people walking with Jesus. There's two blind men on a side road, and they're screaming for Jesus because they know, they know who has the power. And the multitude's saying, hey, be quiet, shut up, shut up, we're busy. And they don't stop. And they continue, they continue to try to reach out to Jesus. And Jesus hears it. Here's what Jesus does. So Jesus stood still and called them. You know what happens in your life when there's hundreds of things going wrong and you're stressed out to the max and you're anxious and you're fearful and you're afraid and then you call out to Jesus? You know what happens? He stops. He stops. He stops, he stands still, he looks you right in the eye, and here's the question that he asks you. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? That the creator of the universe not only knows what you're going through, not only sees you, he's asking you the question, what do you want me to do for you? And I know I've said this before this morning, but you know what? That question demands an answer. And if you don't have an answer for that question this morning... That's fine. If I were you, I'd figure out an answer. Because he wants to meet your need. But here's what happens. And here's what happens to me. I'll use myself as an example. Here's what happens to me when he asks me that question. Sometimes, I say sometimes, it's probably even more than sometimes, I ask for too little. I asked for too little. These guys in the Bible, they didn't. They knew there was an opportunity there. What did those two blind guys ask for? They asked to open my eyes so I can see. If that was me, sometimes I ask for too little, and maybe I would say, ah, if you could just like... Open my eyes so I can, like, just see where I'm going. So that I could just see objects so I don't run into things. So maybe I could just see a couple colors so I can distinguish between a few things. That's not the God that we serve. We serve a supernatural, super powerful God. We serve the God of miracles. And he's asking each of us all the time, all the time, what do you want me to do for you? Amen? Amen. Is anybody getting anything out of this this morning besides myself? Question number four. 
And literally, there, there's, there's hundreds of questions like this. I'm just picking out the ones that resonate with me. You may look through your Bible and read other questions that resonate with you. This is in Genesis chapter 32. And this, this is probably one, in my opinion, one of the most mysterious passages of the Bible. This is a time about with Jacob, and Jacob is left alone. And we're going to pick it up in Genesis 32, starting in verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go. This is Jacob speaking. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? God says, what is your name? And to me, the question isn't about as much about what is your name? It's more of a question, who are you, and what are you believing about yourself? Are you believing about yourself, your times of anxiety, stress, sin, before you were saved, before you knew Jesus? Or are you thinking about yourself, your new identity in Christ? Or are you thinking about all the things that God instilled in you so that you can walk out your perfect pur purpose. See, God changed his name, but really what God is in the business of changing people. He's in the business of life change, not necessarily name change. But we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. And in this encounter with Jacob, Jacob's life, after he had an encounter with Christ, with God, his life was changed forever. He was marked by God. The touching of his hip, he had it the rest of his life. He walked with a limp for the rest of his life because he was marked by God. That's one of the reasons why we need to chase after an experience and an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's we have to have a, a yearning for his presence because we need to live a life marked by God where our lives are never the change. After Jesus came into my life, my life was new. I had new perspective. I had, I had a new identity. I was living differently, I was thinking differently, I was acting differently. And that happens when we are marked by God in a way that we will never be the same. And what does that mark do? That mark, whether it's a hip or something that God has supernaturally done in your life, it's reminding us that we no longer operate in our own strength. We operate in his strength, that we aren't in control, but he is in control. 
that again, that's one of the reasons why I love to look at these questions, because by the fact of letting God, Jesus, ask us the question, who's in control? The person asking the questions is in control. If we're constantly going to Jesus, always asking question after question after question, that's saying, I need control. I need control. But when we let God ask us the question, when we let God speak into our life, what you're saying is, we're giving up the control. Now our answers to those questions, that's what controls, that's the control we have. But God is the one who controls our life. Amen? Amen. Question number five, I believe. And this, this is probably maybe one of the most simplest questions, but it's a life-changing and incredible question. This is a question, I believe, for everybody that maybe sometime in your life or maybe now, you, you felt like you don't measure up or you felt like you don't have what it takes or you felt like you've been walking with God and he's asked you to do things. He's asked you to participate in his work, but you bow out because you think you can't do it. You think there are other people better equipped for doing those things. You feel like you'll get to those things when you maybe have more money more time, more skills. You clean up a few areas of your life. And sometimes we're so focused on what we don't have, right? How many people do that, right? I'm, I, I lift both hands on that one. I lift both hands on that one. Sometimes I'm too focused on what I don't have or maybe what I can't do and not focused enough on what I do have and what I can do. Exodus chapter 4. Then Moses said, I'm sorry, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Here's the question. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? And what was in his hand was the rod, a shepherd's rod. And for years and years and years, Moses wandered around with probably what he thought was this insignificant piece of wood. An insignificant piece of wood or a stick that he thought he was just walking around with. Yet he had this for years and years and years. And then he has this encounter where God says, what is in your hand? And he basically gives control of who he is, what's in his hand, what he has. Because everything, listen, everything that God has asked you to do in the future, everything that God has asked you to do 
today, he is already giving you all of the skills and the finances and the time and whatever excuse we're making up to ourselves so we don't have to walk out God's calling. I need this. I need that. Whatever you are going to need, God has already imparted into you years and years and years ago. What is in your hand? But when God blessed that insignificant piece of, good, piece of wood, it, it became the rod of God. With that rod, giving control over to God, with that rod, Moses drew water from a rock. With that rod, he parted the Red Sea. Which just earlier was just an insignificant piece of wood. What we can learn from this, and what Moses learned from this, is that Moses could do great and mighty things as long as he remained humble and God was in control. Wouldn't that work for our lives? If we remain humble, we remain on our knees before God, giving him control. It's funny when we do that, how things just seemingly have a way of working out. There are stories after story after story in the Bible, like the Samson slayed hundreds of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Sounds ridiculous, right? The stories that we are going to have in our own life as we walk it out, they're going to sound ridiculous. You're going to do things and tell somebody and then somebody say, there is no way you did that. That's the God that we serve. David, one of the most popular stories. David defeated Goliath with a couple rocks and a slingshot. Jesus fed thousands of people with what was basically leftovers in a little boy's lunchbox. It was some fish and some bread. These, these stories never end. God is always trying to remind us that it's not our ability but it's our availability. It's our availability that he's looking for. And we can go back to that very first question. We never want to be in a situation where God is saying, Mike, where are you? I would have loved to have used you, but I couldn't find you. I set up that entire opportunity for you but you were hiding. Everything was all lined up. But you were running away from me. Instead of drawing yourself towards me. Question number for you, Daniel. I'm going to seven. Or whoever's back there. Sorry, I can't really see. This is a question about Job. And this is an interesting one because Job had thousands of questions, right? Job has a guy that, I mean, you think you were having a rough day? This guy was having 
a few rough days back to back to back to back. He lost his servants. He lost his livestock. He lost his kids. He lost basically about every, everything. So this one's really, really interesting. And it's question after question after question. And then Job, what does he do? Like any of us do, we, we gather our buddies together and our buddies, you know, they have thousands of questions too trying to figure out. Nobody can figure it out. What's going wrong, right? That's what we, we go to people for advice all the time. Hey, help me out. And with, what's interesting about advice is advice is great, I guess, in some situations. But most of the time, we don't need advice. We just need to know what God's telling us. We don't necessarily need worldly advice. We need spiritual wisdom from our Father in heaven. And in this story, I'm just going to go right to it, I think. Job 38.1. Starts in 38.1. Then, then the Lord, because finally, here's what happens. There's Job and his buddies have thousands of questions. And finally, finally God weighs in. After all the travesty, all the adversity, all the havoc, God finally decides to speak. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. So Job's probably thinking, great, this is awesome. I'm finally going to get my answer. And how many times do we do that? And we're questioning God, questioning God, questioning God. And then God's ready to chime in. And here's what God says in, chapter, or in verse 4. Here's the question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I created everything? Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? And I know this isn't helping some of us today. And this question's somehow we can wrestle with just this question. But sometimes when we have all these questions for God, hey, why don't I have this thing yet? Why hasn't this happened yet? Why don't I have this job? Why don't I have kids yet? Why haven't I found a, a wife or a husband? Why don't I have the, the career that I wanted? Why, why, why? And you know what his answer is? Sometimes, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I created you specifically for a reason and a purpose? And this, like so many other questions and so many other things in our life, this is where faith comes in. This is where faith and believing, as it says in Isaiah, his ways are always higher. His ways are always better. So much so that some things when you've seemingly missed out on a worldly opportunity or you've missed out on something that you thought you really wanted, 
two things are usually in case, usually if you're following Christ, two things are usually the case there. Number one, that opportunity didn't present itself or you didn't do it because God was protecting you from something. That God was probably protecting you for something. Or the second one, he didn't allow you to walk into that or to do that, whatever it was. Because believe it or not, believe it or not, as much as you wanted that thing or that career or that wanted that girlfriend to be your wife, whatever that thing was, most likely... As hard as it is for you to imagine, he has something better for you in store. Hey, I hate to admit this, but I'm getting old enough now. I'm getting old enough now that there's been lots of things that I've wanted or I've even thought it was God and they didn't come to pass. And you know what happens in all of those situations? What God gave me in his timing was way better, way better than what I wanted. And I will tell you, some of, some of you don't know me that well, but I will tell you this about myself. I'm a guy, I think, that I know what I want. I don't mean that to be a joke. I just think I do, right? I know what I want. And there's been lots of times where God hasn't given me what I wanted. But every single time, every single time, he's given me something better. And I know some of you are out there, and it's probably the people that I referred to earlier that don't even want to be here right now anyway. Here's my challenge to all of you. Write those things down. Just get a piece of paper. Write the things down that you want. Now, it has to be in a reason. Don't, don't like, play games with me and say, hey, I want to go to the, the uh, gas station after church and win the lottery. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real stuff, right? Write it down. And if you're living in a godly way, if you're praying for his will in your life, one of two things is going to happen to that list. It's either going to happen or that number that thing is going to be scratched out because it didn't happen but in parentheses after that it's you're going to write what God did do in that specific situation and then you're going to say man thank goodness God didn't give me what I asked for because what he gave me is way better than I wanted God always knows. Amen? All right, I'm going to go to um, you'd be amazed at how many questions I have here. Let's do the last one. I'm going to jump man. I'm going to jump to number 10. Number 10, I mean, this, is, this would be in the category, of, man, this, is, this could be the most important question of your life, too. Before I say no, number 10, and it'll, 
you'll make the connection here in a second, but I was looking the other day online, maybe about a month ago, and it said, and I'm sure if you Googled it, you get a different answer, but I did it a couple times ago, I was in this range. It said that 70 to 80% of Americans, people in, or people in the United States, 70 to 80% of Americans consider themselves Christians. That's what I said. <laughs> and you could say, man, that's, that's great. Isn't that awesome? 70 or 80% of Americans consider themselves Christians? Isn't that awesome? It's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, I don't know about you, but do, do you live in a world here where 70 to 80% of the people are Christians? I mean, hey, I'm not saying I'm the perfect Christian, but if 70 to 80% of Americans were Christians, we wouldn't have as many problems as we do, would we? Which leads me to this question. Luke 6, verse 46. Luke 6, verse 46. And 46 is the question. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That's a hard one to read, isn't it? You know... Every time I read that scripture, not every time, I do make some right decisions every once in a while. But every time I read that scripture, every time I read it and I say, but why, it says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And then I think to myself, man, how many times, how many times have I screwed that one up? How many times? Hey, I know what the answer should be. But here's the thing about life. Life isn't about me reading that scripture. Well, life's about me walking it out. And you could say, I should do all these things because I should be obedient to him, which is certainly the case, certainly the case. But there are also, and I know this sounds weird, there are also some self-serving reasons why to walk these things out. Because if you continue and read, read that, the next verse, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. 
And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against that house, and he could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing. Every time I hear this word, every time I read this word, and I do nothing, here's what happens. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Pastor Guy, you can come up. Man, there is power in these questions. And I hope after listening to some of these questions, I don't know how many we went through, six or seven. If, here's what I would challenge you maybe today. If you could just remember one of these questions that we talked about today. One of these. And you answered it. Man, this is life-changing stuff. For my life, man, these questions demand an answer. For my life, I have the responsibility to answer these questions. These questions we spoke about today, this is the answers to those questions. Man, they are going to guide my life for the rest of my days. You've heard the old saying, like, work smarter, not harder, right? To me, this is kind of a worldly example. Hey, I'm going to work smarter. I'm going to answer these questions on a daily basis to the best of my ability. Because throughout certain situations in my life, I've tried to work harder. But, but for me, working harder doesn't do it. A- adding, adding a little more Mike Lemp to the situation, it's not going to be good enough. It's just not. So sometimes for you to think you're going to work harder, or man, I'm really going to go after it. I'm going to take control. I can pick myself up. I, I can move forward. And those are all great qualities in a person. Don't, don't get me wrong. But we have access to the qualities and the truths to a much greater and more powerful person. Amen? Let's stand as we pray.
Father, I just thank you for the power of your questions. Lord, I pray right now that there are people all over this place that your question speaks, speaking directly to them will change their life. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in this place this morning, Lord, that we feel the responsibility to answer these questions. Lord, these questions that, as we've talked about today, they demand, they demand an answer. I can't really say it any other way, but they demand for your life, for your life, for your family's life, for the calling that God has already in store for you. They demand an answer. And if we have our prayer partners, if you could come up front here. As we sing this song, as we exit out of here, I'd encourage anybody that just, you just need something to get you over that hump. I'd encourage you to visit one of our prayer partners right now. Sometimes it's, it's helpful to just be accountable to somebody else. To stand in faith with somebody else. To give you that extra little faith. That, man, I can do this. These questions that Jesus has for us. understand not only that they demand an answer but I'm going to stand up this morning and I'm going to answer those questions for the rest of my life.